Good morning, church family. What a joy to see each of you. So many of you that are regularly here and so many of you that have just come uh, because of the particular celebration today of, of a milestone in the life of this church. And uh, it is our joy to share this day with you and to see the Lord lifted up, honored, and glorified. This is this Sunday that I will share at the last service my final words uh, to this church family as senior pastor. Oh, you'll hear from me again, but it'll be in a different capacity. But final words often have added weight or significance. I pray that's true for this church today. Sometimes final words, though, are humorous, like uh, some I saw on the internet etched on tombstones this last week. For instance, one of them, uh, you can see here, William Hahn says, I told you I was sick. <laughs> Another one said, turn off your cell phone. <laughs> A- another one uh, said, he loved bacon and his wife, oh, his wife and kids too. And then yet, this one, I love this one, died from not forwarding that email to 10 people. <laughs> Final words are sometimes humorous but they're sometimes serious. I've got a letter from my mother that uh, she wrote to me just before she passed six years ago, and I treasure those final words that uh, she wrote to me. For followers of Christ, there are no more important final words than those of Jesus when he gave us what we call the Great Commission, where he told us to go and to make disciples of all nations to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them to obey all that he had commanded and promised to be with us even to the end of the age. Or his words to the disciples recorded in Acts chapter 1 where he said that we are to be his witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, Hawaii would have been the ends of the earth from Jerusalem for sure. And now we're sending it back around the world. And uh, those words of Jesus serve as uh, giving us purpose in life and direction for living. Those are the words of Jesus, final words. The Apostle Paul, they are words that give us direction as well. In fact, I want to focus on some of his final words this morning. Paul, who was, as you know, a missionary... He was an apostle sent out by the church. He was an evangelist. He was a church planter. He was an author. He wrote half of our New Testament. And he was a pastor. In fact, I want to focus especially this morning on his relationship as pastor to the church at Ephesus. Because he'd founded that church. He had an ongoing, long-term relationship with that church. He once spent three years in Ephesus making disciples. And as I poured over his words this week from the book of Acts to the church in Ephesus, to the letter to the church in Ephesus we find in our New Testament, to the letters to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, I just saw an amazing parallel between his love for that church and the love that Dee and I have for this church in Kaimuki. 
And I want to share with you some of the parallels, some of the principles as I draw on those letters from the Apostle Paul uh, and relate them to you as my final words in this last message as senior pastor. There's an outline in your bulletin, and uh, we want to look, in fact, I'm going to encourage you to look in three directions this morning, and here's the first. A pastor's parting words challenges the church he loves to look backward to see what the Lord has done. It was on his first missionary journey that Paul planted this church. You can read about it in the book of Acts. In fact, I've got a map that I want you to take a look. On the left-hand screen, you can see, if we can bring the lights down just a bit, uh, he, in his first missionary journey, left Antioch and uh, came up and he planted churches in various cities in Asia Minor. It's Turkey today, but the, he wound up in Ephesus, where he planted the, the church in Ephesus, and that's the church I want to focus on today. That was his first missionary journey. Well, he did another missionary journey, a second one, and then he did a third. In his third, he's up here in Europe, uh, Greece and Macedonia, and then he wants to get back to Jerusalem uh, before the feast, so he's sailing by ship down here, and he tells them to stop off in Miletus. And it's from there that he sends word and has the elders from Ephesus walk down to the shore at Miletus because he has some words for this church he's had this relationship with. The leaders of the church come to the beach, and he pours his heart out to them, Acts chapter 20. He warns the leaders. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of God which has been entrusted to you because false teachers will arise and try to steal this gospel and send it in a different direction. He, he warned them of that. He encouraged them. And then he told them this. The Spirit has made it plain to me that I am uh, near the end of uh, my freedom. I'm going to be imprisoned. I face hardship and afflictions going forward to Jerusalem. Well, you can imagine how they responded to that. They protested. They were grieved because they loved the Apostle Paul. And this is what he said to them. And I want you to note this carefully in Acts chapter 20, verse, 30, uh, verse 24. Paul said, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, this is what matters. It isn't important that I may be imprisoned, that, that I may face hardship. No, what matters is that the gospel goes forward because uh, I want to testify solemnly to the gospel of God's grace. After he said that to them, they knelt there on the beach, they prayed together, they stood up, they embraced Paul boarded the ship and sailed on to Jerusalem. Sure enough, he was arrested in Jerusalem. Uh, he was ultimately taken to Rome, and he was imprisoned there. It was in AD 61 that he wrote back to that church in Ephesus. We call it the Ephesian letter in your New Testament, and shared his heart with them again. Then he was released from prison, traveled about again, doing some missionary work, and uh, once again was rearrested and put in prison. He couldn't stay out of jail. And uh, they put him in prison, 
And it was from here that he wrote his final words to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, Timothy. First and second Timothy. And he shared his heart not only with Timothy, but also with the church in Ephesus. And one of the things that he did was remind him of what God had done, looking backward. When Dee and I reflect on the 25 years that uh, we've been with you this time as senior pastor, there's so much that I could share. As I prayed and thought about it, preparing for this weekend, but I thought, I don't need to. I've been talking to you folks for 25 years, <laughs> and you've been patiently listening to me. And so I pray that some of what I've shared that is worthwhile will take root in your hearts. But I do want to remind you of a few things that the Lord has done. Because you know what? We've had not just a 25-year relationship with this church. We've had a 39-year relationship with Kaimuki Christian Church. 39 years. It was 1979 when Dee and I first came here. I had a lot more hair back then. And uh, we, uh, I was the associate pastor for four years. Then this church sent us out with five families to Hawaii Kai, where we planted a network of house churches, which eventually became Hawaii Kai Christian Church. And we were there for six years, and then left to go to Oregon, Klamath Falls, Oregon, where I served with Shasta Way Christian Church as their senior pastor for, for four years. It was in 1992 that uh, God called us back to Kaimuki Christian. And uh, 1992 was the year that Pastor Gallagher uh, retired, and the church called us back. Well, even before we got here, the Lord began to put on my heart a vision for this church and what he wanted to accomplish. And uh, I began to write things down and began to share them after I got here with my brother Norman, uh, who is an architect, and uh, with the elders and with the leaders of this church. In fact, as I look back through my files and through my electronic files, I'm amazed at how many different visions that I were, was writing uh, out through those years, and mission statements, and core values. In fact, I used to drive Dee crazy with all the ways that I was working on uh, wording those things. But, but out of that, God has moved in some amazing ways. Uh, it was in 2008 that I set forth the 2020 vision, which is on your left. And uh, we set forth a plan that we believe God wanted to accomplish in the years to come. Well, even before that, there were many visions. And it began with the property, and with an expanded worship center. And we began to see God provide so that over these years, seven of the eight properties on this block have become the property of Kamiki Christian Church, a base for ministry. But we knew then, and Mary Smith nailed it when she said, the property isn't the vision, the buildings aren't the vision, they merely house the vision. The vision is to make disciples. And that's what we've been doing through these 25 years. We've become a purpose-driven church to where we minister intentionally, bringing people from the community into the church membership, the church family, to become maturing or growing members of Christ as they get into his word, to become serious servants of Jesus, finding their ministry. That's the goal that we have to make disciples. We even call it now our 
Keala O Yesu, the path of Jesus, a pathway for anyone and everyone to take if they want to live intentionally for Jesus Christ. That's the goal of our church. And so um, years ago, in fact, it was about the mid-1990s, not long after we'd come back, that uh, I was having my daily Bible time. And I just opened the Word every day and just uh, read and reflect and then journal about it. I've got boxes of journals uh, that I've recorded my thoughts in as God's spoken to me. It was back in the mid-90s that I came across a verse in Acts chapter 20. I wrote about it in my journal. And then I, re- I, I put in my margin of my Bible, my life verse. I claimed it as my life verse. Here it is. You may recognize it. It is, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That was the words, those were the words that Paul spoke to the leaders of the church at Ephesus on the beach there at Miletus. Those were the words that I claimed as my life verse. Well, when years later, Paul wrote from prison to young Timothy, the pastor of that church, he told Timothy, Timothy, I want you to pass the torch of this ministry and message to the next generation. Here's how he put it, 2 Timothy 2. You then, my child, be strong that is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust a faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. Do you see that? Paul is not just writing to Timothy, and that's the end. Oh, no, he's saying, Timothy, I'm handing the torch to you, and I want you to pass it on, you and that generation of believers in Ephesus, to the next generation, because that gospel must go forward. Pass the torch to the next generation. Well, Pastor Harold Gallagher and Joan served this church as senior pastor for 32 years before we came. And as I observed their ministry through the many years that we had association with them, and with that generation, I realized and have long known that we stand on the shoulders of spiritual giants. Those people were amazing. With the faith they had, with the legacy they left, Uh, in this church and in this community. They've passed the torch to us. And now the torch has come to us, and and Dee and I are passing it on to a new pastor and his wife, but from one generation to another. And uh, that is exactly what Paul told Timothy to do. That this gospel doesn't stop with us at all. so much bigger than us. It goes to the next generation. Along the way, we've learned some important lessons that accompany the gospel, that come out of the New Testament. Let me mention a couple of them. One of them has to do with unity, the importance of of, of being unified in Christ, not dividing. We've had minor disagreements over the years. Uh, Even way back, there were disagreements. But there was one in particular that was devastating to this church. Sorry to bring up bad memories, but sometimes we have to look back in order to learn and grow forward. 
Dee and I had gone to Hawaii Kai in 1983, but there had been some turbulence brewing before that, not only at Kaimuki Christian, but in churches all over the island, and in fact, all over America, because the charismatic movement had swept across the country, and uh, some people were just finally understanding the gospel, and that was really great in the Catholic Church, in the Episcopal Church, and some interesting and amazing things were happening, and it caused all kinds of controversy in churches to where, well, let's put it this way, some people began to believe that miracles and healing and speaking in tongues and all the sign gifts in the Gospels and in the book of Acts should be the norm for the church today. And some became very strong and adamant on that and would really say, if you're not practicing these things, you're not very spiritual and you may not even be Christian. That was the extreme. Others would say, oh no, those gifts passed with the apostles. Uh, they, they're no longer in operation, maybe occasionally, but, but that's out of the ordinary and God doesn't do that as a norm. And there were a lot of people in between that were just like, well, we're not sure. Uh, or they may have had an opinion, but not so strong. Well, out of that, we developed a family statement. In fact, it's been handed to us from previous generations, but we stood on it. And it was this. In fact, we shared this with all new members that come into our church. In faith, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. In faith, unity. Our faith is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what we can't miss from the New Testament. But in opinions, liberty. There's all kinds of areas where the New Testament doesn't clearly set forth what we ought to believe. Christians disagree about the second coming of Christ. Or, or whether you can drink beer and, become a, and be a Christian. Or whether you can go to R-rated movies. When I grew up in a church, couldn't dance. It's like, you know what? Those are areas of opinion. And we can agree to disagree. In opinions, liberty, but in all things, love. And so that was illustrated, actually when a couple from this church, after the split, came to see us in Hawaii Kai. And I remember they said to me, the man, the husband said to me, so where are you going to land on spiritual gifts? Where are you going to be when it comes to the charismatic situation? And I knew what he was really saying is, are you going to agree with me? And uh, I said, well, that's a great question. Let me tell you where, where I'm going to be. And I drew him a little picture. And I've drawn this ever since, actually. I said, okay, on any issue like this, you're going to have a spectrum where people are on one end or another. I don't, I don't care what the issue is, the area of opinion. And you're going to have some people over here that are going to feel really strongly about it. And uh, let's take the spiritual gifts issue. Boy, you need to speak in tongues, and you need to be uh, praying for miracles every day, and they ought to be taking place continually. And you're not spiritual if you don't. On the other hand, here's folks who say, oh no, I'm not, I think they passed with the apostles. Cessationist, it's called. And I said, you got people on both ends there. And you know what? You also have a lot of people right here and here who may have an opinion. It may be strong or not so strong, but it isn't worth dividing over. So where am I going to be? I said, here's where I'm going to be. This church is going to be right here. We're going to erect the cross right in the middle. And as we do so, we're going to call folks, come to Christ. Let's put him in faith unity. It's the 
gospel that unites us in Christ. And so these folks, we're going to call everyone here to submit to Jesus Christ and to commit to loving one another. Because Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is where this church is going to be, I told him. And he said, well, that's a weak position. And I said, no, actually, it's a really strong position. Try me on it. And I said, I'll tell you why. Because uh, we're going to encourage folks over here. You come on over here and join us here. And we're going to encourage these folks. You come on over here and join us here. But if you can't come over here, you can't work, then you go on over there, and you go on over there. Because uh, you're not at the right church. And you need to find a church that agrees with you on everything. And good luck, because you're not going to find that church. But in this church, we believe in faith, unity, in opinions, liberty, and in all things, love. Our family statement. In fact, I think those seeds were sown in my heart Years before that, back in 1978, we were in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I was an associate pastor there. And uh, one night we were invited over to the senior pastor's home for dinner, and uh, there was a a professor, a Bible college professor, that uh, was there that evening. He was a hero of the faith, Woody Phillips. And uh, we were having dinner, and the senior pastor, uh, I couldn't believe he did this, he said, Woody, did you know that Ron believes such and such about the second coming of Christ? I thought, oh, no, I'm toast here. Uh, This guy's going to just reduce me to nothing with his words. Well, his words were this. He said, oh, please pass the potatoes. (laughs) The the senior pastor chuckled and said, aren't you going to say anything about that? And he said, no. He said, you know, the gospel is what it's all about. That's what we need to focus on, not peripheral matters about what people believe about areas of opinion in the scripture. They'll only cause division. We need to stand together for the gospel of Christ and move forward. And as I look backward, I believe that's been now a hallmark of this church and needs to be going forward that we are unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ and going forward together. Well, here's a second direction we need to look in. A pastor's parting words challenges the church he loves to look forward to see what he's calling us to do. When Paul wrote to Timothy in those last letters, he had a goal in mind. He gave him instructions as to what he wanted that church to be. He said, Timothy, uh, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What kind of a church did he want Ephesus to be? A church of love that would emanate from them with the gospel. Every church has a DNA, a characteristic, and I've long said that love is the DNA of this church. Love and generosity just flow from this church. And you know what else flows so beautifully from love? That is grace and truth. John the Apostle said, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law builds barriers. Grace and truth. 
Uh, the law builds barriers, but grace builds bridges. Well, I want to talk to you for a few moments about those two that flow from love, grace and truth. Let me talk about grace first, which is part of the DNA of this church flowing from love. But uh, it's illustrated by a family that came to our church in the 90s, and uh, they'd come from another church, and in fact, that particular church was pretty uh, homogeneous. A lot of people, maybe the same age, uh, they were a lot alike, and uh, just that church just had it together. They'd been here a number of weeks when she told Dee, she said, I turned to my husband and said, Rusty, I was looking around in the uh, worship service the other day at these folks at Comic Christian. A lot of them aren't just, just aren't normal. And I said, that's right. Absolutely. She nailed it. We have come from so many different places, uh, some of us from dysfunctional circumstances, uh, some of us from uh, wealthy or socioeconomically high places to the low. It doesn't matter. We have welcomed and embraced any and all who come. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is offered out with grace. They caught it. They understood that. Pastor Gallagher used to say, this church is not a uh, hotel for sinners, or excuse me, a hotel for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And when that happens, you have unity and harmony as you have in a healthy family. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. Do not rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. God's church is a family. That's how he intended it. When we came here in 1979, people would come up to share a communion meditation, and they'd always say, good morning, family. And we still say that because we mean it. Because this is God's family, and we recognize that. And those are the kind of relationships that we have and want to have, because I'll tell you why. Increasingly in our culture, there are families that are not healthy. So many grow up in dysfunctional, broken families. And when they come to a church and they see a family where people treat one another in love and, and kindness and care for one another, at first, some don't believe it. And then they come to understand this is real. This is not a mirage. They've been in a spiritual desert, and now they realize this is reality in the family of God. And they come here and they find that their thirst is slaked as they uh, experience this love and grow in the love relationship and learn what it means to live in a healthy family. That's grace extended. That grace that flows from love, it'll flow to the Sands family when they come late October. Brian and Kaz, Abby and Lily Rose, we're going to extend that same grace to them, are we not? Well, uh, someone has said, well, what about Brian's age? They asked that about Timothy also, by the way. And here's what Paul said to young Timothy. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. 
Timothy, don't let them look down on you because you're young. Uh, you just live up to who you're called to be, and they'll come to respect and to love you. Brian, is he old? Is he young? Depends on your age. If, if, if you're 79, he's just a kid. But if you're 19, he's an old geezer. He's over the hill. But you know what? He's been around the block when it comes to ministry. Think about it. He, he served a church in Southern California as their youth pastor and outreach pastor for 14 years. And for the last seven years, he has been the campus pastor at Hope International University in Southern California. 21 years in the ministry. Young, old, let him show himself an example, and he'll do just that. And we'll extend the grace of God to him right from the get-go when he and Kaz and their family come. In fact, when we came in 1993, uh, I was 42 years of age. And Pastor Gallagher told me, he said, Ron, uh, I'm 65, and uh, it's time that we brought on a younger pastor to reach a younger generation because we know that typically uh, people flow into a church 10 years plus or minus the age of the senior pastor. And so this congregation has aged with me, he said. It's time to reach a new generation. And so that's, that's why we're looking to someone younger. Well, we came. I was 42. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but in these last 25 years, uh, I've aged a little bit. Some of you have as well. Dee's the only exception that I know of, but <laughs> we've grown older if you've been with us through those years. Uh, and it's time for a younger pastor to serve as lead pastor uh, with the older generation as well as the younger generation. The older generation is passing the torch, but we're not letting go of it. Here's what I mean. In the last few weeks, I've heard a couple people ask the question, well, what about us older folks? Who's going to take care of us? That really surprised me, and I'll tell you why. This church has never been about being served, about raising up consumers. Oh, no, we're following Jesus. He said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that's what becoming a disciple is all about. And that's what you folks have done so beautifully through the decades. You've served amazingly and magnificently in so many ways in this church and, and into this community. And, and we're not going to stop doing that. We're going to pass the torch and we're going to hang on to it as we equip this younger generation along with the sins and, uh, and uh, walk with them and cheer them on as we together reach out to this next generation. In fact, one of our core values that I worked so hard on, one of our five core values is God's son Jesus humbly served. We minister with joy. Now, I don't know if any of you noticed when the Sands family was here a few weeks ago, did you notice that Brian is a mainland Howley? <laughs> you, you did. Okay, and, and, and Kaz, she's from Australia, but she's a Howley. I'm not sure exactly what the designation is for that. But uh, is that a problem at Kaimaki Christian? No, it's not. In fact, one of the DNA of this church is also that we are a mosaic of God's people. Uh, his kingdom is a mo mosaic of people from every uh, race and background, tribe and, tribe and tongue and people. When we came back in 1993... I was uh, down in the fellowship hall and uh, saw a brother across the hall and, 
and I, I don't know if it was my eyesight or whatever, but it was Ray Tanaka. And I actually called him by the wrong name. And Ray chuckled and said, what? Now, we all, Orientals all look alike to you? <laughs> and I said, oh, no, Ray. In fact, let me tell you a story. I said, when we moved to Oregon four years ago, uh, I just loved the forests up there. And uh, when we first got there, I would take Dee and Lance and Rocky uh, out for drives in those forests. And, and I just loved the mountains and the trees. And uh, about the third day of that, Rocky said, Dad, these trees all look alike. And I said, well, I, I know Rocky's colorblind, but, but to me, I saw some differences. But it was when we got to know Steve Cruz, remember Rocky and Dee, uh, that he'd take us up to his 40-acre spread on a mountaintop, and uh, he had logged that, and he cared for every tree on that property. I believe he literally knew every tree. And we learned about fir and spruce and uh, pine trees. My goodness, among the pine trees, there's the ponderosa pine and the lodgepole pine and the, and the sugar pines with the big cones. And it's like every tree was special to him, and we learned to recognize them. I said, Ray, uh, Asians are like trees, and, and, and so are Howleys. I mean, at a distance, they all look alike. But once you get close to them and you understand and see them, for who each one is, you really value each one, and you realize God uniquely created each one, and that's what the family of God is all about. So as we look forward, uh, our goal is to uh, share the gospel in grace and truth. I didn't say anything about truth, but let me take a few moments on that because they balance each other. Paul was very concerned about truth, he told Timothy, you preach the word, Timothy. Stand on the word of God. Don't pull back. In fact, he said this, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth. He saw it coming. False teaching that would take that church away from the truth of the gospel. I've been in the ministry now for 44 years, and I've seen the church in America really change during those years. As postmodern thought has uh, invaded our campuses and universities, as truth has become uh, irrelevant, and everyone's truth is as good as everyone else's, I've seen the church abandon truth in many quarters to where it's no longer about truth, it's only about grace. So that now there are churches who hold out grace and uh, they, they want everyone to know how much God loves them, uh, but, but there's no truth of the gospel. Because Jesus said some pretty strong words about believing in him and uh, basing your life on his words and his truth and the gospel the cross on which he died. That's where we find forgiveness. There are churches, on the other hand, that have um, uh, gone over here, and they major on truth. It's all about truth, and in fact, stand so strongly on the words of truth of the gospel that they appear judgmental to our culture and to peoples and groups within our society. And all they hear is pronouncements of judgment from this end of the spectrum. Some churches are, are, are strong on grace and weak on truth. Other churches are strong on truth, but weak on grace. Each 
is a distortion of the gospel. Because from the gospel comes the love of Jesus Christ, which emanates in grace and truth. And this church will, going forward, stay on track as long as we uh, balance that grace and truth. Standing on the truth of the gospel, reaching out to anyone and everyone with the grace of God that flows through the cross as we've received that good news and the grace of Christ. Paul said this to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, listen to this, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. Paul's in prison when he writes this. It appeared that he was out of commission. He was chained, he said, but the gospel was not chained. It was going forth through the ministry of that church in Ephesus and all the other churches. Since my diagnosis of pancreatic cancer last December, um, in some ways I've been out of commission. It, it appears that I'm chained by this cancer. And in, in part that's true, but you know what? The gospel is not chained, and it never will be. It continues to go forth from this church family to this community to the ends of the earth. And I'm confident it'll only grow stronger in the years to come. And so as we look forward, we realize, wow, we can see that there's a goal for this church to hold that gospel firm and reach out with grace and truth. One final direction we want to look in before I close. A pastor's parting words challenges the church he loves to look heavenward to see what he has in store. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, Nero was the emperor. Persecution was just growing more and more intense. Christians were being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum and killed all over the empire. And he knew that his time was at hand, that he would soon, in all probability, be executed. And so he said this to Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul drew this analogy from pagan religion. As they would go to an altar and pour out a drink offering, he said, my life is being poured out as an offering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it's about my time. But do you remember what his words to the church leaders on that beach in Miletus were? The, the ones that I claimed as my life first? Let's go back to them the third time. Paul had told them years earlier, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, years later, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, right after he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, look what he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now there is, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And, and not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved or longed for his appearing. This week, when I was having my daily Bible time and looking at these passages and reflecting on them, it really struck me for the first time the connection between those two passages. Should have hit me a long time ago, but isn't that the way the Word of God is? You read it again and again, and God reveals new things to us. And I saw, wow, the words that he spoke in, in Miletus on that beach, years later, at the end of his life from prison, he said, it's true. Now I have fought that good fight. I finished the course, that ministry which was entrusted to me by the Lord Jesus, and I've kept the faith. Well, I would say, at the close of our 25 years of ministry here, the same is true of us. I mean, my life ministry with this church is at a close. My life may be near a close as well. But I can say that I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. And I've kept the faith. I haven't done it perfectly. I've made a lot of mistakes. But it was God's grace that intercepted me initially. I didn't deserve it. And it's God's grace that has continually rescued me. And it's the grace of this church family that has continue, continually blessed me and uh, redeemed me through these years. The grace that flows from Jesus Christ. And so I can stand here today giving glory to God that he's brought us through to, to this day. Now, as I close, I want to suggest that uh, I'm looking heavenward. I don't know if it'll be months, weeks, or maybe years, Lord willing. But when I get there, I'm confident I'm going to say, why was I holding on to earth when there's a party going on up here? There's a party going on in heaven. Jesus told us that. It's going to be unbelievable. I can't wait to see some folks that have gone before me and to celebrate with them. And you know what? Um, if I go before you, I'm simply going to welcome you to the party. I'm just going early. When, uh, when you get there, you'll say the same thing. What was I waiting for? But here's the deal. Each of you is in a different place spiritually. Some of you know where you're going. You have the assurance of salvation because you've believed in Jesus and you've received him as your Savior. And he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And so what I want to challenge you with this morning is if you're not there yet, if you don't know for sure that you are a child of God because you put your faith in Christ, make sure that you're there. Don't miss out on heaven. Don't miss out on the gospel. Don't miss out on the forgiveness that Christ offers to you because uh, he has a forever, forever home for you. And uh, connect with this church family and uh, walk together with this church and move forward. In fact, I want to encourage each of you in this church, fight the good fight. Finish the course. Keep the faith. I'll see you at the party. Thank you so much. God bless you all.